Welcome to Spiritually Fierce, the podcast. I am your host, Dr. Ricky Jane Adams, principal and founder of the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence and creator of the Spiritually Fierce movement. Spiritually Fierce is not just a phrase. It is a movement of awakening consciousness of which we are all a part, if we want to be. In each episode, we'll explore what it means to be spiritually fierce, how to become it, and why it is the revolution in consciousness that will save the world. Join me and my fierce guests for deep conversations on spirituality beyond the trinkets and superstitions of the new age that will support you to increase your power to serve. Welcome back, everybody, to season two of Spiritually Fierce, the podcast. And this season is dedicated to difficult spiritual conversations. And one of my favorite people to have difficult spiritual conversations with is the gorgeous Alicia Halpin. Our conversations flow with ease, but we are unafraid to go into territory that I think is often left out of the conversation around spirituality. I just adore this woman. We have a long history together, which I think is ancient, but in this lifetime, uh, it's been, you know, pretty productive from the moment that we laid eyes on each other. Alicia is a leader, teacher, author, mentor, and speaker who weaves sacred magic and neuroscience together to open the path for women to step into the transformational changes needed to live their most glorious life. Alicia is a way shower, modern day priestess, and a soul alchemist. Alicia's work calls you to claim your birthright of radiance and live as the full authentic you. And she's very, very qualified. The basis of her work is intuitive intelligence, energy science, neurosculpting, and somatic embodiment. She uses tools such as daily rituals, embodied practice, breathwork, journaling, connecting to divine feminine power, neuro repatterning, and energy healing. Alicia facilitates women in a rebirthing of their wild, free, and whole self. Yes, she does. Welcome, 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 darling sister. You are also the teaching and learning coordinator for the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence, which is something that just surprises and delights me all the time that I got so lucky to have you inside the Institute and being part of this incredible community. You're a graduate of the third level and a spiritual director as well. Really, there's nothing that you haven't done, but you weave everything together so beautifully. So I'm going to ask you, how did you get to where you are today? And tell us what it is that you do today in your own words, and then tell us how you got here. Yeah. Okay. Great. I love this. Okay. So what do I do in my own words? I would say that I am an alchemist for nervous system expansion. And I really guide leaders and visionaries, creatives into um, sacred activation through the nervous system and really opening up that sacred site in an embodied way so that we don't have to disassociate. We're not channeling by vacating the body. We're not creating more traumas um, in in, in expanding these capacities that we have. And I'm really interested in the evolution of our consciousness and living on the edge of that kind of evolutionary space. And so, yeah, I, what, I would, what I would say I do in my daily life is like create experiments that invite us to, in, to evolve um, and, and through immersion, through gnosis, um, 
Yeah, so that's what I would say I would do. Long-winded way of saying it. And how did I get here? Um, <laughs> I think that one of the journeys I came in, you know, like I think many of the women that you've trained would say, like I came in intuitive and I kind of have always had this aspect, but I had no idea how to live it. And so for me, I think that through my 20s, especially, I was in sort of the, the reactive intuition where I would just wait until there was a crisis and then try and find clarity from that place. And alongside that place of disempowered intuition, I was also exploring somatics and, and really interested in, um, you know, I came at it for, as a performer, I'm a dancer by trade, a choreographer by trade. And so I wanted to, I wanted to be at the height of that. And I found that somatics was the best way for me to have a relationship um, through the body-mind that allowed me to understand what was happening in my body. But it took 15 years of strong dedication and multiplicities of trainings, because if you know me and you know I've done every training that's possible. <laughs> um, and to understand that, that these two aspects of myself, my somatic self that was wanting to be at the height of her performance, and this intuitive self that really wanted to get clear in her life, they had to come together. And so there was kind of a crescendo moment um, where I had um, you know, a mystical experience that I couldn't control. I was kind of beyond those ways that I had been able to sort of manipulate intuition or manipulate my somatic, my body-mind experience, and really just had to practice a, a new form of surrender to learning in a new way. And there wasn't a model. I couldn't find a model for it. And so I had to become my own trainer in those moments of how do I, how do I come into a psychosomatic experience of the mystical and how do I ground this into reality and how do I not go down the crazy train and how do I not ignore it? And, and, you know, so I just, again, again, like, I think I'm, you know, I just call myself a mad scientist. I just get into inquiry and exploration. And so I just read what I could and I studied what I could, but I began to synthesize through my own authority into my system, um, which is how we met um, in, in 2018. And you had put, I'd been following you for a while, but you had put a challenge out if you could only talk about one thing. Do you remember that in the spiritually curious community? Mm -hmm. And it was such a good challenge for me, which is something you still, you know, this is part of <laughs> your ongoing mentorship, right? Elisha, it's like, maybe like, let's like narrow that door. Um, <laughs> and so in that challenge, I really got to get clear on what I was, what had come through an experience of knowing thyself and the biggest self and sort of how do, how do we get into a conversation about soul? And I still hadn't quite put all of the pieces together about why it kept coming back to soul, but also why I felt this real drive to keep studying the neuroscience. And I'm not a neuroscientist, I'm a dancer, but I was driven to keep studying the brain, to keep studying the nervous system, to keep understanding how do we learn? How do we change? How do we grow? What's transformation? Like I was just, there was just this real mandate in my life to keep studying these things. And eventually as I came into the Institute, I began to see why I needed these pieces and everything began to weave together. And here we are five years later, um, able to have this, this deeper conversation about um, embodiment in relationship to intuition. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I want to pick up from there, but I want to go back a little bit. Can you tell us if you're 
happy to a little bit about that mystical experience where you realized you couldn't control your way into whatever it is you were looking for. Totally. Yeah. So I was on pilgrimage. It was my the first pilgrimage I went to. And I'd been talking about going to Ireland since I was a little girl before I understood countries or how far it was or any of wow. these things. And I kept telling my mom I was going to Ireland. Um, and she was like, ancestral connection I do have ancestry there but it wasn't I mean I didn't find that out until after I started talking about Ireland and everyone was like oh well I guess you must want to go there because of our family and I was like yeah sure whatever I'm just going (laughs) you know and um so I didn't really know anything about my ancestry at that time but it just had been a something that stayed with me and so finally in 2011 I went and I was on pilgrimage with my then husband and he was like, Hey, want to go to a stone circle? And I was like, Hey, cool. And so we just randomly drove up, um, to the stone circle and I saw it. I was like, Oh, cool. Interesting. And as I walked into the stone circle, the temperature in my physical body began to change. And all of a sudden I was seeing kind of two things. I was seeing the experience of the day. Yeah. that I was in, um, you know, here in, in Ireland in, 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 mid, in, I think it was late May. And also it was very late at night and there was stars all over the sky. And I, I was really, it was like superimposed almost. And I could kind of, and they would sort of alternate between foreground and, and background in this experience. And, and all of a sudden I'm hearing things and I'm seeing things and I'm feeling things. And I'm kind of in the mirrored position and there's this woman who's, who's moving her hands and her body as she speaks. And I was like, that's me. At the time, I didn't actually believe in past lives. Wow. <laughs> just like not at all. Very strict Christian upbringing. Past lives were not available. And so like, it just had never dawned on me, you know, but I'm watching this woman who doesn't look like me in this physical body, right. but absolutely looked like me, if that makes sense. And, and, and then just watch this. And, and then my body in, in 2011 is begins to move. Wow. And the experience of those that were in the stern circle with me, they, they, they said, it just looked like I was dancing. And, and I, so I just was moving with this energy and I was experiencing this thing, this thing that I didn't understand and wasn't trying to understand it. I was just experiencing it. And, and all of, and, and then I kind of wake up and I'm on the ground staring at the very sunny sky. Um, and yeah. And then it was kind of like, oh, it's time for lunch. And I like got up and left, but I knew as I was leaving that stone circle that something had changed and it was quite a while of unpacking that. um, experience before I was actually able to even fully be with what I had experienced in that. And then the way that my life would change. So at the time, what happened is my research as a dancer, as a professor, like completely kind of shifted. And I became very interested in working in place-based work. Like how do we access the energy of these old ley lines and these sacred sites? And I became obsessed with ruins and I would just go, I just traveled around Ireland, like dancing at all of these ruins and, and really actually learning to channel the energy through the body. So not translating it into, into verbal language, just translating it into, into movement and to working with it that way. Um, and yeah, and so I did that for years as I was like integrating and, and learning to sort of like open to this remembrance of who I am. And when did you start leading others on those pilgrimages? Because I know at some point that became part of your service. Yeah, 2013. So in 2011, I was there with students. And then 2013, I started bringing other women um, to Ireland for 
pilgrimage. That experience. Yeah. So yeah. You, it was the awareness that there was that possibility if you put people in that space that that, that remembrance happens. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is a remarkable experience for even those of us who are deeply committed to the, you know, idea of past lives and all of the energy, yeah. you know, of multiverses and all the rest of it. And and I guess to have such an embodied experience at a mm. time when you were still opening to accepting the many facets of you would have been yeah. like, yeah, life changing. You don't walk yeah. away from that and not take <laughs> the offer. Right. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what that has led to, of course, is lots of beautiful aspects. But for us in our shared work, it relates a lot to understanding the nervous system as that mm. interface between the more subtle aspects of our being, those yeah. energetic aspects that open us to, you know, the portals between dimensions and timelines mm. and how that increases our intuition which is the language that we use in the institute but as you know my language is really intuition is a map of consciousness and for you that that the work is very much in that space that nervous system regulation or understanding the nervous system as a map of consciousness or a map of evolution is very much the forefront of your work mm. does that sound accurate i don't want to impose ideas on you but i, I feel like there's you've got a really unique perspective on understanding that aspect of our physicality. And I'd love to hear your take on it. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, you know, I, when I came into this world as a spiritual um, seeker, you know, when I finally was like, okay, I will, I'll, I'll answer that call, you know, like, yeah. Okay. Um, dancing priestess in front of me, like, let's see where we're going. Right. <laughs> and so I just, it, you know, I, I'm such a, um, I'm such a learner and I'm such a, like, I just want to sponge it all in. And so, you know, I dove head first into study and to, to paying attention to other people and to sort of, you know, just diving as far as I could into the deep water. And so I, I got a lot of access to sort of different teachers and trainings and, and lineages and things pretty quickly after that experience in 2011. And what I became, um, uh, kind of privy to was this way that the external messages, the, the teachings did not match what I was experiencing through someone else's nervous system. Right. So I began to sort of see this mismatch in people, in the, in, in people's system and in what they were saying. And that began to clue me in to a part of myself that I had not known how to be with since I was little. I would get in trouble when I was little for quote unquote, saying things out of, out of turn, right? So, you know, somebody would be lying or something would, or, or I would just know something, right? And I would just kind of yeah. blab it out, right? And, uh, and people would be like, well, first of all, how do you know that? And two, it's inappropriate for children to speak that way to their <laughs> elders, you know, and yeah. all of this stuff. And I, and I realized this part of me that had always been able to sense truth, not capital T truth, lower T truth, but like that embodied experience of like belief um, and, and alignment, right? Through the way someone was presenting. And what had happened was I'd been able to take that as an aspect of my performance. So one of the things I was always, I was a vulnerable, raw, dynamic, um, change-making performer in my movement because I knew how to access that space of truth, 
from, from, from my nervous system, right? And, but what it made difficult was relationship with people, right? So <laughs> it's like really great on stage, but then it would be very hard to be intimate with people because I would find that mismatch in their system, right? And in sort of looking at it in this different way, when I was sort of beginning to study intuition and beginning to open up to, you know, psychic abilities and all of these things, I was like, oh, okay, curious. So there's something here that's not quite right. And so I just began to sort of like, that was how I would pick teachers. That's how I would know where to go was when I would find that kind of match. And I called it authenticity at the time. Now I understand it as much um, a much deeper piece than just being authentic. But what I began to see was that without a regulated nervous system, I could not trust someone. Yeah. I could not trust that they were an embodiment of their teachings. I could not trust that they had metabolized and integrated and were, and were the living embodiment Mm -hmm. of what they were asking from me. And so that became the place which I lived then as a teacher, right? I will, I want to be that embodiment of the truth and the light that I'm called to lead. And so I just began to sort of continue that journey and follow that thread um, in in understanding that regulation wasn't just about getting out of my current shitty trigger, yeah, right? Which is how we want to talk about it. Like, or or, or that regulation wasn't a way of removing myself from an experience, right? Because there's a way um, that we can use regulation to try and create a false zenness that really looks like a flat line. And we know what happens when the heart monitor goes to flat line, right? And so we're not wanting to live at flat line, like regulations not about coming to flat line. So I just got really curious about what this aspect, and that was how I fell into sort of studying Stephen Porges, the polyvagal theory. Yeah. Um, which just helped me really un- to understand this neuroception piece that my, my nervous system is always listening to myself. It's always listening to someone else's nervous system and it's always listening to my environment. And I happen to be very privileged in that the trauma that I carry in my body is one lineage based and two experiences that didn't happen to me until adulthood. So I had a lot of actually access to safety that I think is not necessarily normal in modern life. So I'm really grateful to that because it really did kind of give me that springboard to understand that my nervous system was able to give me information that maybe other people can't listen for because their safety cues are skewed. And so, and I still had, I still had a lot of realignment in my safety cues as well, but I didn't sort of carry childhood trauma that a lot of people carry. that I think has to be dealt with if you want your safety cues to be on point. And for me, what what this really taught me was that to live in our highest form of intuition, which we call our intuitive intelligence at the surrender level, um, it requires that my nervous system is regulated at a high level of safety so I don't need protection. Yeah. Right. And so that means also that I'm not addicted to my own personality. And that is always a fun journey, right? To, to heal ourselves. I think like once we get rid of like that addiction and that addiction and that, and it's like, fuck, I am addicted to myself. I am addicted to my own personality. I'm addicted to protecting my likes, protecting my dislikes. And all of that's a disruption to me living in the highest form of intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because my likes and dislikes at the human level are going to skew how I bring in and receive and give out information 
which yeah. is what the nervous system's doing, right? So for me, it's like, how do we unload those places? How do we, un, you know, and to use the language use, we use in the third level training, how do we undo the knots? Yeah. Right. How do, how do we meet those knots and, and, and undo them? Yeah, I love that. It's, it's, it's such a joy to listen to you teach that and to, you know, really hear what you're saying is you evaluate nervous systems without, you know, that's the level that you're intuiting of people. And, you know, the word I would use is incongruent, like when you can feel mm. when someone's incongruent between their yeah. faith and their actions, you can feel or ascertain when someone's, you know, incongruent between what they're doing, and what their nervous system is saying. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's such a powerful way to think about our work and, and to think mm. about how the biology is the technology of our intuition. So, you know, regardless of the terms, the idea is still the same. The body is telling us uh, or showing us where we are uh, out of alignment. Mm -hmm. And I love that piece about, you know, the addiction to the personality because particularly in spirituality, we see so many teachers presenting themselves through their personality. So their, their, their identity is so formed around these trinkets or superstitions, as I would yeah. say, and it always sits so weirdly with me and I've, and I haven't necessarily figured out why, but I think what you're saying is that it's the same thing of like, I'm an INFJ Scorpio rising, this kind of, you know, this human design, yeah. this, this, it's like, it's this frenzied yearning to be seen and yeah. to just keep adding weight rather than taking weight off. Yeah. I also want to bring that to the idea of, of then the contemporary space of spirituality meeting this nervous system education, mm. because there is also a lot of superficiality in that and a lot of celebrity kind of, you know, bright, shiny object syndrome, which you are an antidote to. But it is a hot topic, right? Suddenly yeah. it's everywhere and everybody's talking about it and there's all the memes. And in some ways that's great, but there's a shadow side to that. And I'd love for you just to, to share your feelings about this awakening that's happening. Oh, thank you so much for asking. I was just writing about this today. Um, yeah, so regulations become the new self-help. And we're really approaching it from the same, that from that same kind of consciousness of yeah. fixing the perception of what's broken. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as you know, I teach regulation and dysregulation as a spectrum. Yeah. And I also teach that we are multiple states of being at once. And so there's, uh, there'll be states of being that are in our foreground and quite a few states of beings that are active in our background. Mm -hmm. And so you've got multiple levels of regulation happening all of the time. And so if we're using regulation as a way to perform better spirituality, better vulnerability, better whatever, then we're just in the perpetuation of an egoic structure, right? Because you're, we're, you're regulating all of the time. Yeah. Regulation is an innate process. You're never not regulating. Yeah. Right. The question is at what quality do you want to be regulated? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. what's your invitation? What, why are you why, why might you want to regulate to a higher place, yeah. right? Is it just to appear to have your stuff together? Is it just so you seem like a better leader or are you actually interested in the conversation 
with yourself that invites you into an intimacy with your system. So you're not in, so we can do regulation as domination, dominant, dominant, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that works. Yes. Is that the word? All of a sudden I'm like, that word sounds really funny coming out of my mouth. Like, I don't use that word very often. Um, or we can, or we can have this way that we're responsive mm-hmm. and supportive with our system. Right. So if I want regulation to get me out of feeling bad. Yeah. Then I'm in domination with myself. I want power over my system. And so I'm going to rely on modalities and tools, and I'm going to do practices to try and regulate my system. If I'm interested in a responsive, mature, truly spiritually mature relationship with myself, then I am always paying attention to the medicine that's coming in and how my system orients to it. And I stay in the curiosity of, is that the level of regulation around this issue, around this experience, around this belief that I want to have? Is there something deeper? Is there something higher? Do I want to expand here? Do I want to open myself up, right? So what true safety is for me is it makes you completely available to be raw and intimate with life. It does not remove you from life. It does not mean you're not going to be sad, depressed have a grief moment, have an outburst. Like none of those things happen. Like regulation is not about removing emotional, uh, like a dynamic emotional experience of life, Yeah. right? It's also not, you know, and this is what we're seeing so much in the spiritual world. Like I'm going to get regulated enough that nothing bad's going to happen to me. Yeah. It's just that, well, you know what? Now we're back. Now we've made regulation the new trinket. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and, and that is a misuse of, of our, that's a misuse of our power. Yeah. In my opinion, that's a misuse of our biology. That's a misuse of our time on earth. Yeah. Right. So what I'm really curious in is us growing up to actually live. Yeah. And, 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 and getting enough connection to our deep self through the nervous system that I'm not afraid to get hurt. Yeah right? That I'm like, actually, I came here for that moment to have my heart broken open so that I could experience that. Yeah. That's a holy moment. Why do I want to miss it? Right. And I think that what we're afraid of is emotional distortion, right? Because again, if we have these experiences of having power and control of ourselves, that our emotional body's distorted. It's not in flow right? An emotion takes 14 to 90 seconds to move through your body. By the time you started telling yourself the story about that emotion that you're feeling, it has passed. Yeah. But we stay in emotional distortion because we're so addicted to our mental body. We're so addicted to cognition and cognition is like living on your pinky finger, right? Like we have this huge system and we want to live on the pinky because we want to rely on our false logics. Yeah. Right. And, and cognition was meant to help us drive, bake brownies, put things together, like all like really important things, right? Yeah. But cognition was, is not the highest level of, of, of intelligence that we can live at, yeah. right? And so we as a species have got to get out of this idea of information is going to save us. Cognition is the pathway and, and performance over embodiment, yeah. right? We've got to come into a deeper relationship with being with ourselves as ourselves for ourselves. Mm. Then you can go express. (laughs) 
then you've got permission. Go forward. I Go love <laughs> you know, it's that shared mission that we both have of, of maturing consciousness, like stepping into uh, that spiritual maturity. And that's the evolution then of, of what we're leading with and what we're living from. Yeah, it's, it's very, very powerful. And yet the conversation that is dominant around this new self-help, which I love that idea, this new trinket is very much, you know, the most superficial layer and, and mm. the most, um, kind of black and white and reduced conversation. And I guess like all things, there is good in it. There's good in the fact that people are learning to think about themselves in ways other than, you know, yeah. mental and emotional well-being. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, where, what would you like to see happen? What would be the outcome in terms of our understanding or engagement with our nervous system? Yeah. You know, I think what's so beautiful about it becoming more mainstream and becoming, you know, that you can't open Instagram now without seeing a meme about something or other and all of these things. I think that what that does is it makes the job of someone like me a little bit more accessible because, you know, my mission is to work, to train leaders into a high level of being, um, you know, super evolved in their regulation and co-regulation. And, you know, as we even talk about in the Institute, becoming a super regulator so that your system's so regulated, you're actually able to help hold the regulation of a mass of people. Okay. This is my, this is my vision. And so what's useful about this is that we're talking about it. What's difficult about it is that I spend a lot of time having to dispel myths, <laughs> right? Which I do love, the part of me loves it, but also I'm like, I'm ready to get on to the next part of the conversation. Um, I think the, you know, the invitation here is to, for me, the invitation that I wanna extend to leaders is to stop being afraid of your dysregulation. Mm. And to stop making that mean something about who you are and what you're ready to do. Like when I really can get a leader to soften to their own judgments and their own protections about how they're screwing up if they're dysregulated, then I can actually teach them to go deeply into listening to their own system and learning how to regulate at a higher level, right? Yeah. So I think that firstly, it's like, it, it, it requires the recognition that you're, so every time you take, every time you up-level, expand, manifest a you know, Lamborghini, whatever it is, there is gonna be an aspect of dysregulation because dysregulation is part of chaos and chaos is part of creation. So we're not always doing something bad or wrong if we're dysregulated. There's an aspect that if you want to go into the void, if you want to go into the unknown, you have to be prepared to meet the dysregulation that will be automatic inside of that type of experience, right? And so if we're in protection around like, oh my God, I don't wanna be dysregulated or I did my breathing today, so I am therefore regulated for the next, you know, I don't know, I'm gonna pretend 24 hours, right? It, it just doesn't work that way, right? It's an ongoing process and it's, an, it's a continual conversation with ourselves. It's an opportunity to allow our inner environment and our external environment to become massively more supportive than we've allowed in the past. It's about having new conversations about what resourcing truly is. It's also about really understanding this journey of the Anthropos, right? Because for me, the only way to become a massively regulated person is to accept the fullness of your divine self, which means you must fall in love with your human self. And there cannot be this idea of separation. There cannot be this continual flip-flop 
right? You know, we even see this in the way that people teach regulation, like you're regulated or you're dysregulated. Yeah. Really? Okay. Did you know that you're 15 people and that your consciousness is strode across like multiple timelines, right? So like how, you know, you, you know, like, yeah, but that three-year-old self is pretty regulated and that, you know, the person that's sitting here in front of this may be pretty regulated. And also I've got like my whole twenties, which were dysregulated, <laughs> right? And I have to integrate those timelines. I have to do that work of integrating my consciousness, you know, which is what, what we, what we teach the intuitive intelligence trainers to be able to lead their clients. And it's really powerful work, but it's like, without that level of integration, without that initiation into myself on my journey of Anthropos, yeah. I am only going to use regulation to get out of feeling bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And for me, yeah, there, there are probably people who are in survival. Like, yes, let's just get you out of feeling bad. Absolutely. Let's just start there. Right. But I'm curious in having a conversation with leaders that are ready to do more. Yeah. Right. And I'm also really interested in a place as in this mystic aspect of how do we then begin to take the, the responsibility of living into the imaginal realm in a way that we are accessing, you know, high potentials of causality into form. Right. And I think that, you know, getting, an, you know, getting people into this high extreme integration of self yeah. really off, offers a potential of accessing the imaginal realm from new places where we have not been understanding how to bring that into a, a, a somatic experience um, and, and to really understand how to, how to bring the imaginal realm in and through the body. Yeah. Right. So that it becomes a lived embodiment, a, a lived activation and not just a disassociative fantasy. Yeah, I love that. And that's the function of the nervous system, right? As the interface yeah. between the physical yeah. and subtle bodies. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much in that. And it's so exciting. And I'm so excited for the book that will be coming that will tell us all. Yes. Yeah, I just, I'm just chucking that in. She's like, okay. Keep talking about it. I'll have to write it. You have to. If I just keep telling people it's coming. Right. Then I'm embodying for you. Thank um, you. But, you know, even as you're talking, I'm thinking about the map of intuitions that we teach in the Institute really like most people are in reactive regulation, right? I regulate yeah. when I feel shit, not, exactly. I'm not creating. And, and the other part of that, that I really love about the Anthropos is that ultimately when we do become integrated with our holiness into our humanity, it's not even the efforting of the human self that's creating the regulation. It's letting that God consciousness, that super consciousness imprint us just as with intuition. It's not me having to intuit. It's just letting God in, yeah. impose or it, you know, transpose that, that consciousness onto me. So it's, it's not even a, it's not an act of, it's like the same thing. We want to make it a subconscious thing. We don't want to make it a, I'm doing my regulation piece now. And then I go right. home and yeah, yeah. There's so much correlation. Absolutely. Because you know, what, what, we're, again, what's being taught um, in these kind of superficial ways leads us to believe that regulation happens at the cognitive or explicit self. Yeah. Right. And regulations actually happening at the subconscious level. Yes, we can bring it into consciousness and awareness. Yes, we can practice. Yes, we can pay attention, but ultimately regulation, like I'm not telling my heart to keep beating. Yeah. It's right. It, that's regulation, right? I'm not telling myself how to digest that food. Yeah. 
right? And so while the influence that I can have from the top down is important, what I have to remember is that regulation is ultimately a bottom-up process, yeah. right? Which is where it really hits into our fear programming. Um, you know, as we talk about cleaning out the subconscious basement, it, you know, it really is this imprinted self, right? And so the other way that I like to think about regulation from a more mature perspective or a more integrated perspective is just like we say, you know, the quote with love, like your job is not to go and seek love. It's to remove the blocks to receiving love, to knowing that, to the knowing of being love, right? And it's really that way with regulation. It is a birth, it is our birthright. A regulated system is really when we're claiming that full birthright of being our innate, brilliant, beautiful light self, Yeah. right? And what's beautiful about regulation is that it requires us to do that remembrance to do that claiming of that birthright in and through the body. You cannot transcend the body and become an anthropos. You cannot transcend the body and evolve consciousness. You cannot transcend the body and take this evolutionary piece on your soul's journey, right? It's in and through the body. The body is the portal, the chalice, the vessel, you know, the technology, the antenna, like we've got all these names for it, but it is essential. This life is essential. And the body is an essential aspect, right? As mm-hmm. Megan Watterson says, your body is your soul's chance to be here. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at regulation from that piece, you know, it, it becomes, it becomes so imperative. Yeah. Right. On our spiritual journey. And it makes this, it makes regulation a sacred practice. Yeah. 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 Love that. Jema, sister, mm-hmm. I want to ask a few questions to wrap up that are more about you so we can know a little bit about you. What is something people misunderstand about you? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think people misunderstand. So I think that I come off pretty serious, especially like leading these kind of conversations, but I'm actually a complete goofball. And a lot of times my, like, I think that people misunderstand when I'm making a joke because they expect me to be so serious all the time, but I'm actually a goofball. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yes. I think you were, there's a term Brene Brown uses. Is it awkward? Like I'm just, I'm, there's a- I'm completely awkward. Yes. <laughs> Especially so in a social situation, like I can take like a normal social situation and make it very <laughs> awkward, very fast, either by being really serious and then being a complete clown or just not understanding any context <laughs> that anyone else is talking about. Oh, I love it. Yes. But you, yes, I, I just have such joy being in your company, but I also feel like I'm completely capable of, of misinterpreting and being misinterpreted very easily. Yeah, yeah that quality. We'll, we'll claim that as a positive. <laughs> what are you reading right now? I am rereading, um, oh, I'm going to forget the name of it, Cynthia Borjo's latest book. Um, and it's on um, Gurdjieff. So I'm, I'm reading a lot of Gurdjieff philosophy right now and currently on Cynthia Bourgeau's book. I'm really interested in, um, yeah, mystical, um, mystical lineages that feel at home to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And if today was the last day on earth, what would you want us all to know? I would want us all to know that we are so, so, so very loved. And that that was never in question. And that any moment that we can let the beauty in, 
touch our own hearts and feel them beating, see the clouds and smile, um, just have an opportunity to enjoy that breath that we've met purpose in that moment. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your wisdom and the depth of your sharing. It's such a privilege mm. always to spend time with you. Yeah, I love where we go in these conversations. <laughs> More content for the book. <laughs> <laughs> In 2022, the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence is bringing you a whole new way to get qualified as a professional intuitive. The Intuitive Intelligence Method Accreditation is a 100-hour training program, including personal development, professional development, and spiritual development that will take your skills as an intuitive to the level of superconscious. This program is available online and in person across a range of different dates and deliveries in 2022 and 2023. We'd love for you to head to the Institute for Intuitive Intelligence.com to find out more about how you can get qualified faster and more efficiently to increase your power to serve.